You are listening to the Bellator Christi Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristi.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of Christian apologetics, while taking the truth into the arena of ideas. This is the Bellator Christi Podcast. My name is Curtis Uppel, and I'm joined by Brian Chilton. As we enter, uh, answer your most pressing and apologetic and theological questions of the day. Hello, Brian. Hey, Curtis. How you doing? Good. Well, let's welcome the folks and Happy New Year. We've been praying for a great 2020. Uh, and with the expansion of Bellator Christi and the addition of the new team members, uh, Brian, could you introduce them for us? Absolutely. Um Hold on just a second. Let me get my... There we go. Uh, having technical issues. Well, uh, first and foremost, uh, we, we, we we welcome you, Curtis, uh, with us on the team. And it is an honor and privilege to have you with us at Bellator Christie. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. And I think uh, you're going to have a uh, an article that you'll be starting soon uh, on, I believe, Sundays, if I'm not mistaken, called The Rancher's Porch. Uh, what, what will you be covering on that? Uh, so, um, kind of just things and, uh, uh, things that kind of occur or, or come across on my mind, um, as we're just kind of interacting and doing things with the animals or just doing, interacting and doing things, uh, on the ranch and, uh, you know, things that people, uh, maybe don't quite, uh, ponder as deep as what, uh, some farmers and ranchers do. Um, we have some time and we can uh, be out there thinking about things. Absolutely, and and there's something very special about having that 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 personal time with the Lord. And unfortunately, many of us don't take the time as we need to. And, and so there's something very very deep and spiritual. I think about the work you do. And by the way, thank you for the work you do. We we we're very appreciative of our of our ranchers and and uh, and farmers. I, I know I've had many family members who are farmers as well. So. Uh, if well, you don't have it. ranchers and farmers, you don't have food. So <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And we're, we're you know, it's kind of some of the things, uh, you know, uh, thinking about how our culture today um, really uh, is kind of going in a in a tailspin, uh, thinking about who they are and what they are and those kind of things. But as you spend more time just in the natural aspects of of life you see the life cycles of of things of animals and you see uh in the spring you see the calving the, the baby calves being born and and the things going on there it, there's just things about it that just you cannot explain and so those are the kind of things that we ponder and we think on and we kind of talk about my son and i my wife and i and uh, we have some fun talking about it. We just we wonder, you know, how does this world uh, get where it's at now? And uh, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that uh, they've become tremendously detached from the farm and where their food comes from. And uh, they get a real, real view or a real clear picture of what life is. Very good point. I'm looking so forward to to reading that column. I'm I'm excited about it. But we also we also going to be joined by Kevin Croyder. Uh, I, I met Kevin at uh, at Liberty, uh, where where he and I attend. Uh, Kevin is a native of. Uh, 
Kopiak, I believe is how you say that. I may be massacring that <laughs> the name of that town, but it's in New York. Uh, he serves as a senior pastor of Bell Glade Alliance Church in Bell Glade, Florida, as well as an adjunct professor of Crown College in again got Bonifacius, Minnesota. Uh, again, may have massacred that. So looking forward to having him. Kevin's a great guy and uh, just just a really good guy. Has a real heart. Uh, he has a pastor's heart, but also a very sharp mind when it comes to theology and apologetics. Also, Jason Klein, uh, he, he's not really a stranger to Bellator Christian Ministries. He's uh, written some posts and been on some podcasts in the past. Um, he is a veteran of the United States Air Force, uh, holds a Master of Divinity in Theology from Liberty University, and a Bachelor's Degree in Religion and Business also from Liberty. Uh, in addition to this, he's also a clinical hospice chaplain at, uh, at a local hospice facility, uh, and so uh, he'll be helping us out in some different roles at Bellator Christie. And also, Curtis, I'm excited to mention we have another person that's just joined us. Uh, called v, Her name is V.T. Clark. Uh, she is from Houston, Texas. Um, oh, by the way, I think I mentioned uh, Kevin's from Florida. Uh, Jason's from Virginia. You're from Montana. I'm from North Carolina. VT's from Texas. So we're all over the place. <laughs> we're covering the covering the state. That's exactly right. Covering the states. <laughs> but she says that she describes herself as a CEO of stay-at-home uh, mom and wife, <laughs> and she does a great job there. She just graduated from uh, Liberty with a uh, master's in, in uh, I think, a master's of divinity, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in theology as well. She also has studied at Houston Baptist University and and so on and so forth. And her husband's name's Chuck Clark, who's a, who's a uh, former Marine and uh, a really good guy as well. So excited to have her on the team. So God is really blessing this movement, Curtis, and I'm really excited to see what he's going to do with uh, every single person who's joined Bellator Christie. And I'm just excited for this ministry and excited to see what 2020 has to bring to us. Yeah, and this this thing's, uh, you know, uh, we had talked we had talked a while back about the fact that, um, you know, just the things that, uh, you know, in prayer and, and stuff that have kind of come up and come out of it, it's it's uh it seems to me that it's going to be a pretty exciting uh 2020 and it's going to rocket from there um i'm I'm curious to see what vt is going to be able to bring and it's going to be kind of it's going to be fun this is going to be a fun time uh sounds like we got a a wide variety of of influence and a wide variety of thoughts and i think that's something unique that's going to help bind bellator christie and show people that it's not just uh such, uh, you know, being so involved in academia, academia, but also being able to bring a lot of stuff into uh, the real world. Absolutely, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, it's like we we talk about, you know, there is an academic element to apologetics. You can't get away from that. But it's, there's right. some very real practical uh, applications where we need to have that as well. And so we, we, I like to think of Bellator Christie being a, a uh, kind of a pastoral apologetics uh, where we try to bring things um, uh, very practical into uh, not only um, – academia but as well as to everyday life and so uh, I, I think we need to have you know, it's like what uh, I've heard people said and I really wholeheartedly believe this that uh, if it's Christian it ought to be better 
And so we, mm. we need to have influence at every realm that we can. Uh, we need to have Christians influencing, you know, academics. So we need to have Christians influencing uh, daily life. We need to have Christians. I think we need to have Christians influencing Hollywood. Can you imagine yeah. what life would be like if we had yeah. uh, Christian, many, more Christian movie makers who were actually influencing the things that's coming out on uh, right. in media? I mean, that would be fantastic, you know. So I think every avenue we we have, we need to uh, uh, integrate theology and apologetics. And again, if it's Christian, it ought to be better. <laughs> right, right, right. Hey, so uh, uh, we uh, had a last post on Bellator Christie, which was the top 15 articles of 2019 why don't you uh, fill us in on these well we had uh, we had 15 articles we looked at uh, for 2019 to see which ones had the highest views uh, for those on the uh, site and coming to number 15 is an article you wrote Curtis on the crimson worm so so what is that article about well um, it's uh, you know it was kind of interesting uh, it, it says there in the in the article, it talks about how uh, this this little worm, and it's actually more of a grub. It's not really a worm. It's it's more of a grub, but how its natural cycle, how it actually, uh, you know, does a certain thing on the tree, and as it's as it's grown, its child children inside, you know, the, it it uh, they eat from the inside, they eat that, and and then they're covered with this crimson stain and. Um, it's really unique, uh, unique in how um, things in nature uh, can really uh, show off or describe uh, or give a image, a picture image of actually Christ and, and what he's done for us. And that's really what that article is about. Absolutely. It's a great article. I encourage people to, to check it out. It came in number 15. Uh, for, it, we had the, uh, I'll just quickly go through this. We had a lot of interest in, it seemed like the synoptic gospels and the traditional authorship of the gospels. Of course, I hold to traditional viewpoints concerning this. Uh, I believe that um, Matthew the disciple wrote Matthew, Luke wrote Luke, right. and then John Mark was the uh, the uh, scribe for Simon Peter. So anyhow, 14, uh, who wrote the Gospel of Matthew? 13, uh, Curtis, I'm really, I'm really surprised by the number 13 because this one has been in the top 10 for several years, and it was going back to 2013, uh, Seven Reasons Why Prayer is Important. Sometimes wow. <laughs> when you write these articles, and it's the ones you least expect to have an impact that usually does, uh, and and that's what happened here. And so it's still hanging on, uh, even 13th position. Number 12, who wrote the Gospel of Mark? 11, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts? Number 10, I was, in, I was uh, interested in seeing this. I wrote a piece on extroverts and introverts and how... People from all walks were created by God, and God had a purpose in making them. So that comes in at 10. Uh, Dr. Dan Merritt, our Director of Missions for the Surrey Baptist Association, he went wrote a little historical piece on looking at Voltaire's prediction of the demise of Christianity, how he was wrong, and how his place was actually used for as a Bible distribution facility 100 years <laughs> after his death. And some people yeah. say, well, that's just an urban legend. Well, actually, in this piece, he goes to show that there is some merit 
pun dot Dan merit shows that there is some merit to to the fact that that this story is true. So uh, that's a very fascinating piece. So also yeah. uh, number eight, I did a top ten list in 2018 where I was prognosticating what could happen in 2019. Well, apparently that's still gaining traction in 2019. So uh, yeah. number seven, family is your first ministry, where I write a piece about. Uh, um, yeah, many pastors believe that they need to sacrifice their families at the altar of success. I certainly don't believe that, and uh, I show my my, my defense for uh, the family being a person's first ministry, and that, that's right. holding on in the top ten. Number six was three manifestations of God's love. Number five, various forms of God's grace, a theological piece from 2013. Uh, came in in the top five. Uh, ten reasons to accept the resurrection of Jesus as a historical fact came in number four. Uh, number three, when and what time was Jesus born? This actually stemmed from a question that a uh, church young church member asked me back in uh, 2017, and it's in the top three. Number two, seven aspects of Jesus' life that are historically certain. Uh, this looks at the minimal facts of Gary Habermas and shows why uh, we can believe these seven aspects of Jesus' life. And then the number one uh, article of the year was... Uh, the Ten Divine Attributes of the Messiah uh, was written in 2017. I had a lot of 2017 articles in the top ten, uh, it seemed like. But anyhow, um, or top 15, I mean. So anyhow, th- that was the number one article of 2019. So I'm excited to see uh, what the number one article of uh, 2020 is going to be. Right, right. Yeah, and, um, it's the minimal facts is something that uh, maybe eventually we can uh, do a podcast on where we can kind of maybe kick that around a little bit more and uh, dig through some of that because um, being able to explain some of the minimal facts I think is uh, and and actually be pretty proficient with it um, can can really be helpful in being able to make headway in actually having discussions with people um, that may not be believers or maybe just on the fence you know and they may need to hear that and if you have those I feel if you have those those minimal facts down um it really it really kind of moves things in a direction that really that point rather quickly to to uh does god exist and 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 to jesus so exactly right and 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 gary habermas would even agree with this it's the starting point and that's and obviously you don't want to leave a person with 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 that with the minimal facts, you want to expand it to the maximal facts, if possible. And but as you say, this it's a good starting point. It's a place where you can meet people where they are. And the fact that the majority of scholars—I mean, we're talking about over ninety percent of scholars—hold to at least six of these minimal facts. Uh, right. The 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 seventh one, uh, which is the empty tomb, that the tomb was found empty. It doesn't have as high ranking in scholarship as the other six, but it's still held. Curtis, to within to over seventy five percent of historians believe that the tomb was found empty. That is pretty astounding. If you yeah, really stop and yeah. think of, think about that, right? Yeah, and I've had some discussions with people um, in the past where um, just being able to get a few of these minimal facts in um, into our conversation allows me to be able to then you know basically give them that information and then step back, let them stew on it, so to speak, kind of like. Uh, you know, Greg Kokel says to put a stone in their shoe. Um, exactly. But, but have have a little bit more there, a little bit more meat for them to chew on, and then and then what it does is, 
you know, it creates an open door for you to come back and say, um, so you remember those, those things we talked about? You remember what the points I pointed out? Did you have time to think about it? And uh, what have you come up with? What, what, is, what do you think on this? And so it allows for conversation to be restirred actually rather quickly. And I, I just appreciate those. Um, I, I appreciate Habermas and the things that he's done in that. It's just unbelievable. Absolutely. So let's uh, let's get after the questions we have here um, uh, today, and uh, we're going to be talking about uh, God's nature and how we how we see Him or how He's portrayed. Um, so, number one, um, when we talk about the nature of God portrayed in the Bible as evidence, what do we mean? Well, to really back this up, I'm taking a class uh, at Liberty, uh, which, by the way, 2020, uh, pray for me. I have six classes left before I start the dissertation and the comps, uh, so I hope to get the six finished this year, if 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 possible. So pray for me uh, doing that. But I'm taking a theological methods course uh, this this upcoming semester. Be up at Lynchburg this this uh, February, in fact, and I've been writing, reading a book by. Uh, David K. Clark called To Know and Love God, Method for Theology. And uh, he's a professor at Bethel Seminary uh, in, um, in St. Paul, Minnesota. And it's really, really a good book. I encourage people to read this uh, because there's some deep, fascinating aspects about uh, knowing and loving God. So what he's doing in this uh, particular passage of Scripture is he's talking about uh, in, in the chapter on theology in the academic world, he, he's confronting an issue that comes up by uh, Ludwig uh, Feuerbach uh, through Karl Marx and Sigmund Freud, they, who hold, and I'm going to quote him here, that subjective psychological needs drive our so-called knowledge of God. So in other words, what they're saying is they believe that there's some type of need within us that causes us to want to believe in God. It's some type of evolutionary process that caused us to, to need God, so to speak. So in this view, he goes on to say, the idea of God is actually a human invention. So God, is what they're, they're arguing is God uh, didn't create us as we created God. That's what they're saying. They say God is a human idea created to cater human needs. This thesis, he says, may explain religious beliefs that are not biblical, but it suffers from a major difficulty when applied to the God of the Bible. And here's the ma- here's the the most here's the central thing we want to focus on uh, on our podcast today. The biblical God, he says, is nothing like what we would create. The kind of God humans are tempted to create is a servile genie, kind of like a genie in a bottle, ready to fulfill our consumerist whims and to stay out of sight until emergency hits. But the God of Scripture is the Lion of Judah, untamable, not safe, demanding, not accommodating. He is hardly what we would create. Surely the God we proclaim is anything but a human concoction. And you know, Curtis, as I was thinking about this, I think he has a very powerful point. And I think if you look at the nature of God, and by nature we're not talking about God working in nature, we're talking about the very nature of God himself, about his... the elements, the what make him up. Yeah, he his his like even in the the layman's manual on Christian apologetics, I talk about the uh, the um, 
the non-communicable and communicable attributes of God, the the um, the aspects of God that only He has, which are non-communicable and communicable, which He is and how He relates to us. These these aspects of God are so above and beyond what we would create. That what it does is it shows that what we have in the 66 books we call the Bible is the revelation of God. Uh, if this was, if God was depicted as some um, human being of, so, of sorts who had flaws and things of this nature, then we would be more inclined to believe that this would be some type of human invention. But if this God, if there are mysteries about God that we can't solve, then that means that the God we see portrayed in Scripture is the real genuine God. So the fact that we can't work through some issues theologically completely actually bodes well in favor that what we're dealing with is the revelation of God. Because if we could understand everything about God, then we would know that this was probably a human invention, that we invented right. it, or, or somebody invented him, rather than right. the God uh, speaking of himself to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I guess I... I look at this in, uh, in aspects of a, as a believer. If you look, through, look at it as a believer, um, through our eyes, every time we open up the Bible and we start reading about it, we actually, we actually think we've discovered something about God, but yet there's ten more things that we've now opened up and can't, can't really wrap our minds around because now... We see him interacting with us personally, but yet still being able to be outside of that. Um, and, and so I think that is something in itself, um, like you it, said, an apologetic for it. it exactly. And it's kind of like, if you like to think of it, to, to use an illustration, kind of like a, a glacier of some sort. Uh, you, you scratch the surface of a glacier. You, you think that you, you've traveled around the, the tip of the glacier and you think you've got it covered only to find that there's a massive, uh, that there's more of the glacier beneath the water than what you just walked around <laughs> that is far bigger and greater and grander than what you could ever fathom. And that's the way it is with God. I mean, you open up one door and explore one aspect of God's nature, and then ten more doors will open up before you. And it's, it's um, the, the more I mean, I've been studying. I've been in ministry for twenty years, and I've been studying God academically for goodness gracious, uh, fifteen years or something like that. Maybe maybe a little less than that, but uh, but but several years. Let's <laughs> put it that way. Uh, it took me several years to get my MDiv. It's taken me several years to get my PhD. So it's taken several years. But anyhow, at least 15, say 15 years. And the more I learn about God, the more I realize I don't know about God. Right. And, right. And, and it's even more so in this PhD program because you really stop and you consider just one aspect of God. And, and He just gets bigger and grander and deeper uh, the more you study, the more you study them. And so I think that bodes well when we talk about the fact that uh, what we're seeing is not something that was invented by a bunch of de- desert dwellers, but mm-hmm. we're seeing the actual revelation of God to humanity. Right. And, you know, I guess in a conversation I had earlier this week was uh, um, with a, with a uh, co-worker was... Um, how the how the word is living and active 
you know, and and it and it moves throughout time from the time that the Bible was written or or being put down till now. It's living and active through them all the way through the 700s into the 1700s and now into 2020 now but how it how it uh actually pertains or directs our lives as equal as it did to them Mm. yeah absolutely and so i think i think you see the power of uh that there's something that these are not just mere words there's something behind it that right. uh, that's guiding this, and of course, the object of our worship really isn't the Bible; it's God Himself, and so right. that shows that there's something there's something deeper with this than um, than some mere human creation. Right, right. So uh, let's get into number two. Um, how is the biblical God portrayed differently than what humans would portray Him intellectually? Um, we're looking at the mystical aspects of God. Well, you know, if you really stop and think about this, um, human beings are very materialistic. And it's kind of like what mm-hmm. it's like what uh, uh, Clark says. Um, David Clark says here. He says that uh, um, uh, da, 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 da. the the God the God kind of God humans are tempted to create as a servile genie ready to fulfill our consumerist whims mm-hmm. and stay out of sight until emergency hits. And if you really think about that, you th- think about the gods that had mm-hmm. been created throughout time. Um, mm-hmm. e- either God is presented to be somebody who is not really interested in our our uh, lives. Or else you have something like the Aztecs, where they try to rip the hearts out of people and give human sacrifices to something man-made that they, uh, or maybe they worship the sun, you know, something they can see, uh, an aspect of creation. Or you see others who will who will uh, uh, worship these human idols that they've made it out of their hands. And, and right. we do the same thing today. You know, it may just be differently. You know, it may be, you know, uh, carved idols of the past today. It may be something else. It may be a car, maybe a um, a boat, or you know, or something else of that nature. Right. But we worship things that we can handle, that we can see, uh, very sensory. But with the interesting thing of what you see about God in Scripture is that God is not. He, he's not portrayed with these idols. Um, you basically go into the Holy of Holies and you have the Ark of the Covenant and it's believed that the presence of God would come between the two cherubim there on the... Um, there on the on the uh, covering of the of the whole, the ark of the covenant so there was something there was this otherness about god that uh, that the bible depicts i mean even the name the personal name of god yahweh um, is something we can't fully completely comprehend it basically means i am what i am or i will be what i will be and Curtis, what yeah. this is is this is a real deep theological name for god because what he's basically saying is that I am self-sustaining. I depend on nothing, yet everything depends on me. Uh, I, I have no beginning. I have no end. Uh, all within that one name, the name Yahweh. Uh, we were talking before the podcast, you know, uh, the word Elohim can refer to a divine court, 
But it also, when referred to God, it talks about the, the power of God. Like uh, even when it's uh, mentioned in uh, in Isaiah, El Gabor, the different. I was, I think, Isaiah nine, where it talks about the different uh, qualities of the Messiah that would come. He's called the El Gabor, the Almighty God, um, or the Mighty God. That you know, there's power in that name, and if you really think about. God and if you even look at him, like even in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter one, God is depicted as being above and beyond space and time. I mean, you really think about it in a time where there were many uh, worshippers of many different gods. You see the one God coming out of nowhere, uh, right. and this one God uh, it says to Jeremiah, He said, uh, "I chose you before I formed you in the womb." I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And Curtis, if you really think about this, this is the amazing thing if we consider this, that God knew us before we were ever born. So Curtis, God knew you before you were ever born, knew who you would be, what you would do, where you would live, knew that we would even be doing this podcast today on January 1st of 2020. Uh, he he right. knew everything that's going to happen to our lives. And the amazing thing about it, if you think about it, he knows all of us, knows all of our, our eccentricities, all of our good things and bad things, yet he still loves us. Mm-hmm. We can't comprehend that. Right. <laughs> and so right. if we're talking about the genuine God, we should anticipate that there are things that we're not going to be able to work through. So, for instance, the whole issue about divine sovereignty and human freedom. The Bible teaches both that God is sovereign and humans are free. The reason we can't work that out is because we can't fully comprehend how God operates in time. Right, yeah, we, we 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 can't see that there's actually both of those together can work together we see them as two opposing factors and and i think that's we don't have the ability if you can imagine uh you know these two pillars on a rotating surface we have no way to be able to see them both as together we see them always always opposing each other well, exactly right. I mean, I wrote a paper for ETS that I had down. That I presented down in uh, um, was it Greenville, South Carolina? I think it was, and and I had a chance to talk with some folks about this very issue about about the aspect of God and time. And I think the only thing we agreed on <laughs> in that meeting is the fact that I don't think we can know what this divine time is going to be like. Is it static? Mm-hmm. Is it linear? I mean, we have ideas about the way we think it works, but quite honestly. Mm-hmm. We can't fully understand that. It's kind of like with even the realm of physics, if you really think about think about it. Physicists may postulate what's outside the universe, but they can't really know scientifically what's out there. They can postulate that there's a multiverse, but there's no way they can know with any certainty because we're limited to our own space and time. And so when we think about a God who is far above and beyond the realm of space and time, that's an aspect about God that uh, we're never fully going to comprehend. So the fact that we have some theological issues we can't work through actually speaks in favor that what we have in the Bible is the revelation of God. Not a mere human invention, uh, but something that did come from the Almighty to us. Right. Right, and it kind of goes back to, you know... um, 
you know, uh, divine, uh, divine election and human interaction. If you if you get those two, um, you point those out. If you were to be talking to a rabbi like Lynn, my pastor Lynn was uh, um, has always taught, you know, rabbis of that day would would hear your argument of uh, divine election and they'd say, yes, correct. And then and then you they'd hear uh, human interaction. They'd, they'd explain that to the rabbi and the rabbi would say, yes, you're correct. And, and so, you know, it's the rabbis of that time had had a understanding that God's involvement is greater than we could even uh, put a point on. Yeah, I think we have to be careful in that aspect, though, too, because you have, when you talk about Judaism, there there are several different branches of Judaism at that time with with several different uh, perspectives. So, yeah, I think if you t- were talking to a, a, a Pharisaical rabbi, that would probably be true. But uh, if you're talking to a Sadducee or a Samaritan then you know they they would hold a very different perspective, but but right. by and large, by and large, I think if you're talking to a, a Pharisee, uh, then yes, they, they I think they would hold hold to that perspective. And so yeah, there is this mystery. So the fact that we do have th- these aspects of uh, divine mystery speaks well of uh, the fact that what we're dealing with is not some mere man-made invention. If we could understand everything about God, then one, we would either be God, or two, we would know that this is something that somebody made up. Yeah, it's like uh, uh, Lynn said uh, one time, uh, quite a while ago, he said, uh, you know, um, if we were made to understand all of God and we could understand Him and know Him, uh, every aspect of it, He wouldn't be worth worshiping. Yeah, that's exactly Uh, right. You know, so it, it kind of brings a little bit more humanness in, into that. You know, we understand that, oh, you know. Uh, and I could see where non-believers or skeptics or people that kind of base on solid evidence, when when we say, yeah, there's just some things we can't know about God, they can't, they, they seem to not be able to put their mind at ease with that. They actually... That's a stumbling block for them. That's actually a holdup for them to where they're like, well, if I if I can't know that, then I don't. He's not worth worshiping. And and on our in a believer's aspect, it's wow. That's even greater reason to be worshiping him. Well, and I think that's what I think that's what skeptics need to understand. It, well, those who are truly seeking, because <laughs> right. if, if if a person's there and, and if a person's a skeptic and and there's a wholeheartedly a skeptic and they're not going to listen to what you have to say, then it doesn't matter how much evidence you provide them; they're not going to they're not going to hear. But if someone right. who's truly searching the truth, um, I think this is something that that skeptics need to consider that. If you could understand everything about God, that actually would would argue against the legitimacy of of God, because if uh, we yeah, of of what we believe of, yeah. of what we believe, absolutely. Because if there is a God, then God would be far above and beyond our space and time. He would be the the prime mover, as Thomas Aquinas would put it. He would be the uncaused cause of all things. And so we can't even fully comprehend how the universe began. So what makes us think? We can't can't fully comprehend (laughs) quantum mechanics. So what makes us think 
that we could fully comprehend God. I, th- I think that you're twofold. I think on the one hand, I think skeptics really haven't thought this thing through. Uh, you know, whenever they accuse Christians of being uh, their God of being made up because they can't explain everything about God, but on the other hand, I think that um, they'd have to understand that that if there is a God, that this God would be far above and beyond what any of us could could think or imagine. So um, right. that's that's something to consider too. Yeah, right. Well, number three, let's uh, move on to this one. Um, how is the biblical biblical God portrayed differently than what humans would portray him ethically? This is really powerful, I think, if we consider this, because let, let me go back. I use this in the message, and, and I, I'm a little weird. I, I admit that. One of my favorite shows on television is The Twilight Zone, not the, the Rod Serling version, the black and white 60s version. And there was a there was an episode on the day about it's called the shelter and it's about this family uh, where uh, in this community where they're threatened by this bomb and to make a long story short the 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 guy the 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 protagonist of the show he builds a bomb shelter the the community they're trying to break in the neighbors are trying to break in because they want to save their lives and instead of going and trying to uh, build a shelter for themselves or find you know uh, security for themselves they're trying to take down his his bomb shelter to get in basically saying well if, if we can't get in he can't he can't be in there either well anyhow at the end of the show, the the threat is shown. The bomb threat is shown to be false. That there's not not a missile coming, and so at the end of it all, what they what they do is uh, is they apologize and they say, "Well, let's have a party or some sort. Let's get back to normal." And the doctor says, "Well, I wonder what normal is. Maybe this is normal when we're tearing each other apart. Maybe that's what normal is when we're acting like animals." And I think he has a point there, because when uh-huh. you really stop to think about human nature, when it comes right down to it, we're, we're going to take care of ourselves. You know, that, that's, that's the way, you know, in our sin nature, we're geared to just take care of number one. But the Bible teaches something completely different than that. Mm-hmm. For instance, listen to the Beatitudes of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. And just read, reading through this, this sounds completely opposite of what we would consider to be truth. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, or the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now we think of powerful mm-hmm. people as being ones who will inherit the earth. Uh, survival of the fittest, as Darwin would say. But Jesus says the humble, the meek, will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the warmongers, but the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You are blessed. Now, here again, verse 11 and 12 is powerful. You are blessed when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So you really stop and think about that. That is so completely different than what 
people how people act. Jesus goes on to say, pray for your enemies. Do good to those who right. harm you. I'll be honest with you. I preached a series of messages through the Sermon on the Mount, and I have never been met with as many challenges as I was met with during that series of messages because the Sermon on the Mount is so far different than the way we would normally act. And so I think what we find in that, in the teachings of Jesus, is the revelation of God because of the fact that it is so far above and beyond anything it's so, it's so different than what we would ethically teach people how to behave. That's why, Curtis, they said that in the early church, uh, many women were attracted to Christianity because in the Greco-Roman culture, men were promiscuous and they would they would cheat on their wives. Women were treated just above cattle. Uh, right. they, were, they were viewed as being slightly above cattle. But with Christ, he elevated women. He elevated all people. And so that is something just as unheard of in ancient culture. And um, it's something I think that shows that there's this otherness about Christianity that speaks very well of of this being the revelation of God. Right, right. Yeah, and I mean, uh, you go even even a little further on in the Beatitudes there where it says, uh, you know, and Jesus is talking about uh, lust, and you've heard it said that... Um, do not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully uh, with intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And and what he's getting at there is we have a human understanding of what that is, but God knows the God knows the intents of our hearts even before we do it. Exactly. So. Yeah. So I, it's not just it's not just the act. It's the, it's the it's what goes on in a person's heart. I mean, in co- correlating along with that, which talks about if you hold anger in your heart, it's the same as committing murder. And as you said, right. if you hold lust in your heart, it's the same as committing adultery. That is beyond anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> what would we what we would invent? Right. Right. Yeah. We. I mean, even even if you go uh, to the to even the secular culture that we that we have around us today, you know, it, it there's always uh, you know uh, that kind of idea that you know it's okay to be mad, just don't make any action towards it. It's okay to you know show your anger, but yet God's telling us here that that even though we have that anger, that's welling up inside us, that, and that's a heart issue, and then that ultimately that actually steers us away from from being able to recognize or see God moving in our lives. Very true, very true. Yeah. Interesting. And then, you know, you look at like uh, like in the book of Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah 1, and you look at, um, at number 5, uh, or 1-5, where it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you, I ordained you, uh, a prophet, to the nations, um, just that, just that very thought, um, how God knows and directs us, and He's uh, He understands who we are before we even know, or even people know who we are, um, and I think that's uh, that's that weighs into um, what we talked about in in one in the first question, second question. But also how that really ties in with the the third question in 
how um, we as humans uh, portray God or look at God as he's subject to my actions or what I think when really we're subject to his actions and what he what he wants us to do. Very true, and I, since we're running out of time, I'll just go ahead and combine that thought with uh, with the last two with the last two questions we had for the for the podcast, and mm-hmm. that's very true because a lot of t- and we have to be careful as Christians to do this because uh, about doing this because I think sometimes we try to make God in our image and want a God who will do the things that we do but that's not the way God is as Clark was saying God can be dangerous not that he's wanting to harm us but dangerous in the fact that he's going to call us out of our element to call us to do mm-hmm. things beyond what we think we could do you know in and on ourselves in, uh, in and of ourselves and so with that i think we see that there's a god there who is behind all of this that is not something that's created by the minds but something that is radically different from human nature from the way we understand the universe and what we would even have. I mean, the, the fact that you have just out of the blue this movement that stresses this, this, that God is a spirit. He's not the sun. He's not the moon. He's not, he's not a man-made element. He's not something you can create with your hands. He's something, there's just this otherness and this hiddenness of God that is so above and beyond what anybody was teaching in that time. Uh, right. And even today's time, I mean, we, we look for something material or something that we can manipulate and control, but a true the- biblical theology is going to show that God is above and beyond anything we can think or imagine, and, and that is quite honestly scary <laughs> if we really yeah. think about it, uh, you know, yeah. God being a consuming fire, you know. Right. Uh, so there's this otherness we see in biblical revelation that just really separates it from any other worldview out there, and I think that really speaks strongly uh, for for the revelation of God found in Scripture. Right, right, yeah. So it it moves them from uh, you know the uh, Santa Claus or genie in the bottle or or that. It moves them more into you know we're we're um, by us getting our worship right and getting our um, understanding of him right, we then see that um, we want to fall in line with his will and what he wants to do um, rather than him falling in line with us. Exactly. Absolutely. And that's the whole mark of discipleship, that, that yeah. we're, we're being made in the image of Christ, not making Christ in our image. Right. Well, Brian, it's been fun. Um I think it's been a, a great time. We're looking forward to what 2020 brings, uh, Bellator Christi. Um, so uh, as uh, as Brian and I enter out or leave, we're going to say goodbye for now. Um, and remember, our prayer is that this podcast helps stretch your mind and is a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and, re- and is reliable in information source Join us next time on the Bellator Christie Podcast. Until the next time, Brian and I say soldier on, friends.
listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie Podcast and bellatorchristie.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Do you want to learn apologetics but become bogged down by weighty terms and philosophical concepts? Do you want to learn how to defend your faith but you don't have the time and finances to afford seminary training? If this describes you, then the layman's manual on Christian apologetics is for you. Written with a layperson in mind, the layman's manual on Christian apologetics defends the rationality of the Christian faith in terms accessible to everyone while adding practical insights and humorous stories. Gary Habermas has added a foreword to the work in which he describes the need for apologetics in the church. Full of useful resources, the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics discusses the essence of truth and how you can know what is true before defending the existence of God, talking about the problem of evil, miracles, then noting the historical reasons for believing that Jesus' resurrection was an authentic event of history, and also describing how you can trust the words of the New Testament. I am pleased to announce that the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is now available at withandstock.com and at amazon.com. I appreciate it, and may God bless. Did you know that you can help the Bellator Christian Ministries by simply leaving a review? If you are enjoying this podcast, help us out by leaving a positive review on the app where this podcast is found. This helps increase the exposure of the podcast and helps others find it more easily. If you enjoy this podcast, leave a review. If not, send me an email. Either way, we want to thank you for supporting BellatorChristie.com and the Bellator Christie Podcast.